0: Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It is September 9th, 2023, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on x at uh, jason underscore otc, or you can email me jason at overthecap.com. I don't think I'm getting anything at Threads these days, so let's just uh, discount that one entirely for the time being. Um, Tonight, we're going with the pumpkin, uh, Southern Tier Imperial Pumpkin Ale. Um, this is a pretty good one. Let's see. Where's that on the camera? There we go. Uh, this is a pretty good one. Um, it's a little early for the, uh, the pumpkin beers, but last year I kind of felt like they disappeared pretty quickly. So I've kind of decided to, uh, stock up on them early and, uh, we'll try them out a little bit earlier this year. Um, this is a good one. This is probably my second or third favorite of the pumpkin ales. Um, Dogfish Head being the top one. Uh, we picked up a four pack of these. They didn't have the Dogfish Head out yet. They have they may have the dogfish head out. They maybe they just didn't have it there. They have a lot of these out already. It's early I swear it's earlier and earlier every year. I saw them uh, for the first time last week. I went to the store and it was just like, wow, you know, they they've already got these out. Um, so you yeah, so that's what we're going with tonight. Pretty good. If you like this kind of stuff, I'd give it a shot. Uh, joined by Nelly the Bunny again. Nelly's snacking on a treat, so I'm sure she'll make some noise soon. Uh, Drinking on some water or doing something back there. And, uh, you know, football season is here. So uh, everyone should be excited about that. We got the Thursday game in. I'm sure everybody's going to overreact one way or the other. But, uh, you know, it was a good game for Detroit. uh, Bad game for Kadarius Toney. And, you know, that led to a Chiefs loss. And eh, see how things go. You, You pretty much these days, I think, for a long time now, I think you've pretty much always thrown out the results from week one. Uh, the question is, do you throw out the results, you know, from week two as well? I feel like nowadays the NFL doesn't really settle into any kind of groove until week four. Um, I think the lack of preseason and the shortened training camps has really hurt, um, the quality of play that happens early on. So I think even, you know, it's hard if you you start obviously 0-3 or something like that, but, um, I think you you don't count anyone out the way maybe you used to um, off of some of the starts. Now, maybe, maybe if a team is expected to be really, really, really bad, like Arizona or something like that, um, you know, may, maybe that's a, a little bit of a different scenario, but I think that's, um, that's kind of the way that I will view the early portion of the season. Um, you know, this is always the best part of the year pretty much for everybody. Um, you know, you, you don't know how your team is going to do. Everyone pretty much expects the teams to do pretty well. Again, with the exception of just one or two teams, um, you know, and then you just see who, who hits and who misses, uh, you know, obviously this big season for the Jets, big season for team like the Dolphins. Um, you know, the, these are teams that have invested a lot in the last year or two and, you know, they, they really have to, um, have a good season. For some other teams, you, know, you you probably are kind of setting some unrealistic goals. Um, you know, I think Minnesota falls into that position. I think the Giants fall into that position this year. Um, you know, you get a couple of teams like that, um, but you know that's what the season's for, and it goes by so fast. Um, you know, before you know it, it's going to be Thanksgiving, and you know, for a couple of teams, you're probably already looking at draft at that point in time. And for other teams, you know, you're, you know, really thinking that uh, something special might happen this year. So uh, enjoy the season and see how things go tomorrow and most importantly, Monday. Um, So, all right, let's uh, let's start today with Nick Bosa. So we we got two big contracts that came down this week. Um, Nick Bosa was the one. The other one is Joe Burrow. Uh, I don't really have the details on the Joe Burrow thing. Um, the only thing we've heard so far in the Burrow thing is that the Bengals did move off the guaranteed structure. Um, a lot of people, you know, were kind of writing me about that, I think, saying, like, well, see, we told you so. It's like, no, you know, it, it's not something that the Bengals typically do. And they haven't come out and said what amount is fully guaranteed yet. you I kind of talked about that before. Um, the Bengals were a team that... Uh, I'm sorry, not the Bengals. The Steelers were a team that also did this, and they they still pretty much do this. And, you know, for Roethlisberger, they broke structure by doing injury protection. Um, I don't know if that's what happened here. Uh, the $55 million a year for Joe Burrow is not a surprise. That was kind of what I thought it would be. But I thought it would be that number with the non-guarantee. I thought he would just get a ton of money up front this year as a signing bonus, and kind of, you know, that would be that. And they didn't do that. So they did go up to the 55, it sounds like, and they gave him some type of guarantees, Um, whether they're full, not full, you know, running. I'm sure there's a running guarantee in there. I'm sure it's not 219 um, injury protected at signing. Uh, That would be much, much higher than Herbert. So I don't think that's what it is. I think it'll follow that same kind of structure, um, you know, where you kind of earn guarantees later on in the process. But we'll touch on that one, I guess, a little bit more in the future. Um, You know, quarterback contracts aren't really very exciting unless somebody, you know, does something outrageous like the Deshaun Watson thing or something like that. Um, They pretty much are what they are. Nick Bosa, on the other hand, um, you know, he scored big. Uh, This is one of the things that I mentioned on Twitter today when looking over the numbers on this contract, it's it's pretty rare in today's league where you kind of look at these deals and you go, well, you know, one side really made out better um, than the other one. This is one of those contracts where you look at this and you just go, yeah, this was a big win on the player side. Um, this seems to completely break with anything that would be San Francisco related for years. Um, you know, the the only thing that San Francisco really has in this contract that I think it would be looked at as a, a positive for them as the fact they got $500,000 a year in per game bonuses. But um, you know, you, you go back to some of the other deals San Francisco has done. I'd actually say that that that's on the lower end. You know, you, you would think that they would have at least pushed for, and I'm sure they did, um, you know, trying to get bigger per game bonuses in this deal. And, You know, this contract is massive. When the deal was announced at $170 million uh, total, $34 million a year, my initial reaction was, okay, let's see where the cash numbers kind of come out on this contract. And the cash numbers on this deal are gigantic. Um, You know, they are way up there. Um, Let's just pull up his numbers here. You go to Nick Bosa and you look at the cash flows on this, so he gets an extra $32 million this year. i will have 49 million by the end of year one, 79 end of year two, 102 million by the end of year three, 136 year four, 170 year five, year six is a void year, Um, at least I believe it is. So I just have that in there that way. And here is how this compares to the other major defensive player contracts that are on the books right now. TJ Watt, and I'll pull up his brother here, Joey Bosa. Those are really the guys that um, count. So you can see here, he got 32 this year. Uh, Watt got a 26 raise. Uh, his brother got a 28 six raise. So number one in that category. Um, he does fall in the year one cash, tiny bit short of TJ Watt. TJ Watt is forty nine nine. 48 is forty eight nine five. So you know about the same. Now, one of the things I will say here, because you can you can probably make an argument in a couple of different ways, um, they they included a seventeenth game check as kind of old money, existing cash um, for Nick Bosa here. Uh, I off the top of my head, I don't remember if they did that for did that for TJ Watt. Um, they may have. I don't recall. Um, let me see if I have it in my notes here. Let's see. Let's see. T.J. Watt. Let us see what I have is his old here. Ten six eight two. Okay, so they they did include that there for him too. Um, the numbers are different. Obviously, you know that this is a much higher figure that you're starting from. Um, but I, I think that's probably a, a little bit of the logic that might be in that. You get to year two, I mean, this just blows away the market. 79.6 million. Uh, 69.9 was the prior high. Uh, year three is at 102. That was where you had Aaron Donald at the 95. Um, yeah, I kind of said, would they uh, you know, validate the Aaron Donald deal? And they very clearly did when you look at these cash flows. Um, yeah, there's no, no way around that. Uh, year four, he's at 136. 112 is the next closest player. And then you got 170, your next closest 135. Um, now, of course, you, you can argue, well, TJ Watt will be a free agent. Nick Bosa won't be. Um, that's true. You know, Watt would have to score a second massive, massive contract to uh, wind up in a better position with the four versus the five um, in this case from a, a raise perspective on an annual value basis, um, this is a giant leap from TJ Watt. Um, now, if you take the Aaron Donald contract as being a legitimate deal and and it, and it is a legitimate contract, not that it, not that it's a outlier kind of deal. Um, but a lot of times when you start getting into the the annual value uh, comparisons and everything else, you're kind of looking at longer-term contracts. The short-term contracts sometimes aren't an apples-to-apples uh, comparison. And you can see that in these cash flows here where you know TJ Watt earns much more than Aaron Donald through one year. He earns a lot more than him in two years. It's only in that third year where there was that turn that Aaron Donald gets the bigger raise. And for a player that's talking retirement, a player that's in his 30s, a lot of people will discount that and they'll just kind of look at it, Well. It's really thirty million dollars a year, and really, we're comping everything to TJ Watt because we're dealing with these, you know, these cash flows here. Is what someone is going to want to build off of, at least on the front end. You know, maybe maybe they'll build off this number for Donald um, when it comes to year three. But you know, the raise here from Watt, uh, if we look at that as the the real top market. Um, you know, you're around 23%, right? Um, give or take a little bit. And that's basically the, the biggest market mover um, probably ever on defense. Uh, Khalil Max was pretty high, too. You know, some people might take a different look at that because he was traded. But, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a giant move forward. So when you see the annual value of the deal hit 34, and you see these numbers just... Move the market so much, you know, across the board. It's just a legitimate home run um, for Nick Bosa. I mean, that there is no two ways about it. You you look at these numbers and you go, well, "Why did San Francisco not get this deal done beforehand? Like, was Bosa really asking for even more than this? Like that? That's that's how great of a contract, in my mind, this is for him." Um, you know, you, you get to the guarantees on this deal. And, you know, so he's got uh, 72% guaranteed, 518 fully guaranteed. Um, you know, new guarantee is 103. Uh, blows away everybody else that's there. Your guarantees per year. You know, they're just astronomical numbers any way you cut it. And these are all of that great vesting variety, meaning... While San Francisco does get the April 1 in there rather than the, you know, the waiver period or the uh, third or fifth day of the league year, um, it's still future vesting. So, in other words, if he's on the roster April 1st, 2024, his 2025 salary is guaranteed. If he's on the roster April 1st, 2025, his 2026 salary is guaranteed. The guarantees go so far out in this one this runs like a quarterback contract. This this is a better deal um, than really any anything that anyone else has gotten. Um, I, I don't I don't think that should even be in question. And you know this is where sometimes things get confusing. You know when I when I put out the tweet saying I, I wanted to see the way the the structure on this would look. And people will look at the cap numbers, and you can see here, his cap number this year is just $11 million. So that's a savings of about $7 million over where he was before, $6, million, um, six and a half maybe. He was 17 and change. Uh, next year is just 14 6 Then I believe it's twenty point five, and then you jump up 42 52 42 and then I'm pretty sure there's a void year in there, and that's where this 5 8 comes from. If there's no void year, these numbers here will be a tiny bit higher, but I can't imagine that they didn't include a void year because they've they've been doing this with a lot of their players now. Um, You know, just because these numbers are low doesn't mean that the contract itself is not front-loaded because to get these numbers this low without some giant balloon payment in 2028 it means you have a very front loaded contract and you can see that in these cash flows, you know, when you get back here, you know, these again, you know, you'd be talking about almost a 50 million annual value through one year, $40 million a year through two years, um, you know, 34 and change and then 34 and 34 year four year five. Um, so, the cap numbers are low. It's backloaded from a salary cap perspective. But what that means is that you're going to have an aging player with backloaded cap numbers, but a contract that, in essence, you've already paid for. So, you know, at that point, this is where you get into the ch- uh, chasing of sunk costs and all kinds of things like that. And so, you know, I was getting a number of questions on, you know, how things go with. This here, um, when it comes to releasing him, and th- this is one of the, and not really releasing him, just getting out of the contract. You know, you you do look on the back end of these deals when you get out, and people will look at this and they'll simply go, oh well, it's you know three years and C to, to take a Andrew Brandt kind of phrase. Um, you know, you'll see high number, high number, high number. Okay, that's a reasonable dead money number, but you have to remember, this is a snapshot at a point in time. Um, This is a snapshot as to what things look like right this second. But he will have guarantees that kick in on this salary long before 2026. So, you know, that changes the equation a lot when you start looking into that. So I put together this little thing here just to uh, just to throw in there. Just fill these in. You know, this is the structure on his deal. So we've got these base salaries. This is the prorations that come from a signing bonus and a first option bonus. Uh, That option bonus is guaranteed. You got these per games here. This is option number two. This is not fully guaranteed. There's a portion of it that's guaranteed. Um, But that's why I have it in a different column. Uh, This is his cap charges. So the money that's guaranteed for skill injury and cap. So fully guaranteed. It's this base salary. um, This base salary and this per game bonus. And then $20.135 million of all this compensation over here um, is what's guaranteed. Now, th- this does not include the bonuses. The- this is, you know, there's a $50 million bonus this year. Um, I forget what this one is, uh, you know, $15 million and change, maybe. Um, you know, the- the- there's bonuses in there too. This is just looking at the salaries that are, um, you know, going to be guaranteed at some point. You get into the injury only, it's 10.5 million in 2025, 23.18 in 2026, and 769,000 or so in 2027. And these will become fully guaranteed uh, the prior year on April 1st. So this becomes guaranteed April 1st, 2024. This becomes fully guaranteed April 1st, 2025. This one also becomes fully guaranteed April 1st, 2025, um, even though that's in 2027. So if you want to look at how good of a deal this is for him, this is if we factor in when the dates are and the way the vesting works, this is really what the dead money is going to look like in the deal. So in 2024, it would be $76.99 million. In 2025, it's $72.869 million if you want to see what that accounts for. It's the prorated money that was paid out, plus the money that was um, guaranteed for Skill Injury and CAP. And then we earn another 10.55 million by being on the roster on April 1st, 2024. Um, that would also have to be accounted for in dead money. So you can see they'd lose 62 million, 52 million, 34 million. Um, you know and then you get into 2027. And you, you look at how much money would be earned if he was cut at any of these points. And you know if you just look at the new money, right? He was already owed whatever this year. Um, you know, he would earn $69 million if they just turned around and cut him next year. $69 million over what it would have been to just keep him on his rookie deal. Um, $79 million through just one new year, you know, because he would have just played the 2024 season. So his APY if cut would be at $80 million. Um, you get the, if he plays just two years and then they cut him before the third year begins, um, you know, you'd be looking at like a $52 million annual value and then you get into the 3 the 345 and then you're you know you're at the the 34s so you know very clearly um this contract is not a contract that you can walk away from until at least 2027 at the earliest you know you'd be looking at 33.5 million in dead money that does save you some money on the cap um you know it would mean that he kind of played at 34 million dollars a year for you by playing um you know the 24 25 and 26 new years so, you know, that, that's what that would be. Um, then, you know, 2028, if you got cut, um, you know, it'd be 14 million dead. And then 2029 is a void. Uh, trading, that's a little bit different. You know, if you traded him next year, it's 40 million in dead money. You still paid a, you know, $51 million, 32 over what you had to pay. If you were to actually trade him, uh, your trading in 2025 is 42.18. 2026 is 52.34 dead money. Uh, then that drops to thirty three four nine five. The same, you know, basically as here. Um, twenty twenty eight is fourteen six four eight. So, you know, it, it's it's a contract that is very much um, in Nick Bosa's favor. You know, it it is just a a you know massive win for him. Um, you know, and I, I don't really remember the last player to get what I would consider kind of this type of win. Um, in a contract, you know, at all, in an extension, and certainly not in a holdout. Um, you know, I mean, th- this is just a a massive, massive, massive victory um, for Bosa, and it's a, it's a victory for any player on defense. Um, I won't get into the, you know, the Panthers' situation with their pass rusher, uh, you know, who basically decided not to do a hold-in and looks to possibly be, you know, looking to do a holdout, um, you know, he avoided any kind of fines, I guess, by doing that, um, or at least the basic fines, uh, you know, by, by doing that. I, I don't know if he ended up holding out. I haven't really paid that much attention to, uh, you know, the stuff that's gone on with Carolina this week. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think this helps him in the sense that this sets a number like, okay, he's worth $34 million, but this certainly raises the bar To where, you know, you definitely have to be over, you know, like a Max Crosby kind of number, um, you know, to to you know get the ball rolling. And I I don't think you can really make an argument because once the salaries jump um for one player, unless you can really paint something as a a very different kind of scenario um to where you, you can paint it as an outlier. You know, it's it's really hard to discount a contract. You know, Aaron Donald's deal, you can you can point out as an outlier. Even it could still even work that way. You know, with for example, Chris Jones. Um, you know, who's in his contract dispute right now with Kansas City. Um, you know, you could point to that as you know something. You know, the 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 the, the concept of tearing up a contract and everything else. Um, you know, as we discussed last week, you know, yeah, that that's an outlier. That that's something different. That's not something that you would expect um, all teams to do. But it becomes more difficult when you see the way that the market moved up right now. Um, for him, for Bosa, it does become a little bit more difficult. I think for the the Chiefs to dig in on a on a specific price, even though he's much older um, than him. But, you know, to, to dig in and say, well, no, you're, you're not worth 30. The market doesn't show that because you're seeing all these movements in the market, whether you want to look at even the defensive tackles and just how much stuff moved up once Aaron Donald got up there, um, you know, or, you know, just looking now at Bosa and just saying, well, this is where the market's moved to. You know, $30 million a year is not out of the realm of possibilities, now, do I think that Jones maybe was asking for a little too much? Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't think it's the way people were painting that as like a, a greedy thing or anything. Um, you know, and I, I don't think that it was also fair for people painting the Chiefs as being like cheapskates and not a, not giving him a good offer. I mean, it was where those two sides are reportedly, if those numbers are, are correct... Um, you know, there's a gap that you can bridge there. And, obviously, he's costing himself money each week that he holds out. um, You know, and they can probably wait him out longer than maybe he could wait them out. But, you know, this even helps him. Um, You know, if you're Parsons, if you're Micah Parsons, and I I know from following him on Twitter, you know, he's not at a a stage where he really even talks about this stuff. um, You know, at all. But you know, after this year where he becomes extension eligible, you know, that stuff has got to be out there. And very clearly, you know, if this is at 34, he's he's not going to be able to push for 60. I'm, I'm sorry, for 40. But, you know, certainly something like 36, 37. You know, I, I think that's very clear, um, you know, that, that he'll be able to do that. And, you know, I said that uh, this was a really bad week for Dallas, um, you know, from a contract standpoint. Um You know, you you had the quarterback market, you know, this whole offseason, you know, has gotten over 50, and now we jump to 55. Um, You know, Dak Prescott's going to be looking for a new deal probably next year. This cap number is astronomical. They may have to do it. Um, Now you've got the Parsons is going to be extension eligible, I believe, after after this season. Um, You know, now you've got a market that has gone from, you know, what you probably expected to be around 30 to probably being 36, 37. And somebody mentioned, I think in a comment to me, you know, I'm wide receivers too. You know, and that, that there's some truth to that as well, that, you know, if just Jeff, Justin Jefferson does go out there and, um, you know, get that big deal and, you know, get to that magical $30 million number, I mean everybody focuses on the Bengals. Like how are the Bengals going to pay two wide receivers and a quarterback? And they, they probably won't. Um, but I mean, look at Dallas, you know, how are you going to pay a quarterback, an edge rusher and wide receiver, all of whom are going to look for top end money? Like that's, that's a tough one for them. You know, if you want to talk about why this is such an important season for Dallas. Um, you know, that's a big reason, but Uh, Back to Bosa here, you know, I I just, I love this contract for him. Um, You know, I I think this is just a a big hit for him. Um, You know, I I just think it's a, it's just a giant, giant get um, that I, I didn't expect to come in at this. And certainly not if they took this amount of time. Now, where does this leave San Francisco with the salary cap? Um, So you can see San Francisco, and I haven't updated for everything today, but San Francisco has a huge amount of cap room. And I'll have a little bit of a discussion on this concept in a minute uh, because this is something that I wanted the Jets to do. And they may have, you know, who knows, maybe they did. uh, Teams had until 4 p.m. today to do their max restructures. So, you know, that stuff didn't get filed until late. You might not hear word of it until tomorrow or more likely next week, um, you know, that you would hear it. So, they're going to have 42.5 million that they can carry over to next year, where right now I have them projected to be about 25 million over the cap. Um, And that's depending on where the cap is going to be. I have it projected at 256. Who knows? That might be too bullish because that would be a gigantic jump. Um, You know, maybe it won't be that high. But, you know, this number will change. So, one of the things that I should mention is. I don't have the carryover factored into this yet. The reason for it is simply because this is the last week of the season where typically you do get a lot of extensions. And you can see it, right? We got Burrow, we got uh, Bosa, we got a couple of smaller deals that kind of came down. So sometimes you'll get somebody next week, but you know the, the, the extensions that kind of come during the season are much more spread out. You don't get too much of that. So usually I like to kind of lock it in week one, uh, once I get the numbers from it and it probably won't be because of the borough deal. Um, a couple other lingering ones, but mainly the borough deal, it probably not gonna, I'm not going to do it until next week, um, where I will factor those in. So you'll see San Francisco here move from a negative 24 to, you know, a positive 15 or so, something like that. Um, you know, once I get all their stuff updated, um, you know, and go you know, in line. But you know, some people were asking about why did San Francisco go in there and restructure a bunch of contracts? Um, so San Francisco was over the cap, um, probably about seventy-two hours ago. Uh, no, how to a little bit more than that, maybe um, when they redid those deals, but. You know, Bosa's deal wasn't finalized where they create a cap room on that, so they had to create some cap space. So, San Francisco went in there and they ended up doing um, they redid Trent Williams, Eric Armstead, uh, George Kittle. They brought everybody down to the minimum, and you can see right here, right? What do we have? Well, this is a this is a roster right now. This is a cap situation that looks very New Orleans Saints esque, right? We have a base of 1165, base of 1165, base of 101, base 108, base 108, base 108, base 1165. Um, here we have a base 108, 1, 19. You know, and then you get a couple of guys here, and obviously, you know, the fullback right there. But you know, your top uh, eight players or so are all at the minimum, and you know, they, they didn't touch the per game stuff or anything, but all at the minimum meaning. You are dumping millions and millions of dollars into the prorated bonus columns and, you know, pushing money to the future. And, you know, you talk about kicking the can and people see this where they created all this cap room with here, here and here to go from about $5 million over to $42 million under the cap. And you go, oh, they're, they're planning for a big move. Right? You know, they, they've got tricks up their sleeve. they've got trades in the works, and you never know, something can happen, right? You've got the, the whole Mike Evans thing, um, you know, maybe, maybe they'll be in play for a quarterback somewhere if things don't go right with um, Purdy, who knows. Um, anything is possible once the season begins, and it's best to have the most flexibility. But for the most part, really what they're doing here is you're trying to come up with a way to create cap room for the future, Um, this is a concept I've talked about this before, really for a long time. Um, mainly when discussing teams that are in salary cap trouble, which, you know, San Francisco, I I think would kind of fall into that boat. Uh, but the first time I really ended up seeing teams do it and it was really creative. Um, it was Dallas and Philadelphia, I'm trying to remember the year. I'm trying to remember if it was the COVID year, or if it was the year before that, where you were going into um, the end of the CBA and there were different rules as to um, what you had to do with the salary. I, I can't remember uh, which it was. It, it was it was one of those two years, and it was both those two teams. And you know, like I said, it was something that I had kind of mentioned before in passing, just about different ways that you can you know try to utilize cap stuff and i thought it was really neat when they did it right at the beginning of the season um as a way to maximize your carryover to in a sense double dip on your restructures to help yourself in a year where you really are in salary cap trouble um all san francisco had to do to get salary cap compliant this year was get the bosa deal done which obviously was in the works okay they created about 6 million on that. That would have put them under the cap. And, you know, a couple of other things here and there that they they could have done to get to, you know, 3 million under or something like that. And you know, that that probably would have given them the leeway for the season. But that would have left their 2024 situation, you know, the same as what you see here, about 24.5 million over. And what happens? This is where I think people get confused with it. You go, well, you know, Trent Williams, for example, his uh, his cap number increased because of his, you know, conversion on his salary. But the reality is, your your overall cap situation for next year is better, and here is why that's the case. So, if you look at Trent Williams, what did they do here? 18235 million restructure. Yeah. All right. So let's uh let's open. Let's work here. All right. So we've got 18235. Oh, oh. All right. This is what he could have taken um you know, his original 2023 cap. You know that you would have had to account for this in this season. All right. The new 2023 cap is gonna be this divided by five, right? So you saved 14.588 million, right? This is what we created in cap room. We created 14.588 million by restructuring his contract and doing a full proration for five years. Now, what happened in 2024? Well, we had to add more proration to that year. So again, His cap increases by 3.647 million. So that's lost. But our overall gain is going to be this minus this. So, in William's case, by restructuring this year, we put San Francisco in a position to be 10.941 million off better in 2024 as long as they don't have to cut him. And even if they have to cut him, as long as they don't use this money and it carries over, it'll offset, right? Because everything that you save now becomes dead money. So it would offset if you had to cut him. But your gain is 10.941. Now, they're obviously still in salary cap trouble. So you you go back to... um, Oh, where's San Francisco? You go back to them here, and you look at the 2024 season. Whoops. You you look at 2024. You've got a 20.05 million dollar base that you can work with. Oops. Uh, What did I say? 20. 20 20.05. Yeah, I I don't know what the uh, the minimum is next year. You know, one two or something like that. But again, let's say that they can convert. You know, around 18 million. You know, so that'd be a 3.6 proration, save, save 14.4. So San Francisco from Trent Williams alone for 2024 will be able to create basically the 14.4 with the traditional restructure in 2024. Plus the 10.941 that is the net result from the carryover minus the increase in cap charge for 2024, you know to put them overall in a position that's better by 25.341 million. So this is this is what certain teams are doing right now that is really, in my mind thinking outside of the box, we're really really taking a look more at long-term planning um, you know when it comes to the to the cap. So when you look at San Francisco, Um, All this money that they created is to basically be able to double dip into the player pool, into the player contract pool, to be able to offset some of these big charges they have coming up in 2024. That's really what it's all about. Um, You know, if, if we look at where they rank cap space wise, let me just see where they are in the future. And really, going out in the future is kind of silly because some of these the, the teams have so much carryover. But you see, they're in an awful position next year, so that's really where you need the max carryover. You get to twenty twenty-five, they're in a bad position, but the cap should be so high at that point, it won't be as terrible, and you'll start to have players, you know, that you can kind of walk away from, um, you know, to improve your position. And really, for the most part, we're working all the time in two-year windows. The thing is, what you want to avoid is being in a situation like the Saints. Um, I know people are going to say, well, you pick on the Saints too much. It's not picking on the Saints. It's just that's the way that they do it. Um, you know, they, they walk a tightrope every year. But, you know, when you're the Saints, with the exception of the year, they try to get Deshaun Watson in. And they created the cap room for it, couldn't do it, and they carried it over. Um, you know, the Saints are more like this. They have $6 million in cap room, and they completely maximized every little cent that could come out of their salary cap through restructures this year, and last year, and the year before that. So they're not in a position where they can kind of help themselves next year by doing stuff this year. It's like, okay, you know, we thought we could do more this year. We didn't do it. You know, let's just carry it over to next year. No, they they maxed out whatever they could do. That's not the situation you want to be in. Because when you get into that situation, you know, the Chargers might be in that kind of spot next year. I don't know about Cleveland, maybe. Miami might be in that kind of spot. Um, You know, then you get to the point where you're making moves just to survive. And... Those moves are going to impact you every year because you're cutting off avenues to improve yourself, to improve your situation each year besides 100% completely kicking the can where you know, you're just going to have to deal with players on your roster that you don't want, losing players in free agency that maybe you normally wouldn't lose um, you know, simply because of salary cap considerations. Right. that's that's what happened to the falcons that's what's happened to the panthers um, you know, that that's what's happened to a number of teams and you know you, you are looking for teams to be more proactive with what they do and you know cleveland has done a really good job with this as well you know cleveland has completely maximized their carryover really the last two years through a bunch of you know shrewd moves um before the beginning of the season, now they've built in their restructures on their players already. But their restructures in the future that they've built in are restructures that are going to allow them to June one the players, which means you know they, they can they can find ways to defer a lot of cap costs to twenty twenty five instead of taking them in twenty twenty four or you know twenty twenty six instead of taking them in twenty twenty five. So it's a real good system. That I, I think operates as long as you don't get to the point. And the Eagles do the same kind of thing. Um, now, the Eagles don't have much this year, uh, but it, it's all perfectly fine um, until you become something like the Saints. You know, when you get into that situation, you know, or the Falcons situation of a couple of years, or the Bears where they were two years ago before Poles took over. Um, <coughs> You know, the, those situations are in no way, shape, or form going to bring success. And, you know, anything can blow up on you, right? You know, if all the players go bad, um, you know, there's not much you can do. If San Francisco's quarterback stinks, you know, what are you going to do? You know, Bosa gets hurt, what are you going to do? You know, Samuel, probably an overpayment from the start, probably too bullish off one season. You know, you shrug your shoulders, you know, what are you going to do? If all those guys flop, you know, that then you've got a problem. But... If the guys take kind of their normal path, um, you can manage the cap properly, um, you know, by picking and choosing where you do this stuff and the time frames in which you do it. And then how you structure, whether they're voids in a contract or they are, you know, fake voids, um, you know, basically to allow you to June 1 a player. So, you know, the, the reason that I mentioned the Jets as being a team that should do this you know, they, they've only got 10 this year. You think they would want to have flexibility if they want to trade for someone. And certainly their quarterback, if he's going to be their quarterback next year, is going to want them to add more to their team. And, you know, you're looking at them with $23 million in cap space. And, you know, if it's me, I'm looking at this. I've got a 40-year-old quarterback. Um, there is no tomorrow. So you should be doing everything in your power to take this year's salaries, create as much cap room as possible, and then do what you got to do in 2024. I I understand, like, you you don't want to do a new thing with CJ Mosley, but, you know, there's no logical reason, you know, let me just pull up his cap numbers here. You know, there's no logical reason to be carrying him at a $21.5 million cap figure. You know, and it's like, well, you know, we want to have a decent situation next year where we can cut him at 10.5. It's like if this is what we're thinking right off the bat, probably shouldn't be on the roster in the first place this year. But, uh, you know, if if we're just looking at it, you know, even just saying we want to try to, uh, you know, maintain something here again, it's the concept of no harm, no foul. I'll create as much cap room as I can by converting his full 17 million by doing it today. And And again, maybe they did, um, you know, create however much cap room this year. And then if I want to cut him next year, okay, I carried over all the money I created. You know, because I didn't use it to trade for a Mike Evans. I didn't use it to trade for Aaron Donald. I didn't use it to trade for anybody. I just created it as an emergency fund. And if we got to cut him next year, okay, we cut him. Our net impact is zero. No harm, no fat. If we end up keeping him next year and we don't think he's going to take a pay cut well we improved our cap situation for next year by you know probably 8-9 million dollars that's that's enough to bring a pretty good player on board so you know that that's a little disappointing if they don't do it um but we'll have to wait and see but i i think that it's a creative way to kind of try to manage your salary cap in these like two-year windows, um, you know, with a with a lot of the teams to see, you know, how they can or can't move forward. Um, you know, but the, I I think the bottom line is that it's inevitable that every team in the league at some point is going to face salary cap troubles, right? If you're a good football team, um, you know, you you should have a situation that at some point you're going to have a rough salary cap. You know, Buffalo is in that spot, I think, right now. Um, How Washington is there, that that one's really hard to even explain. You know, and even if you're a bad team, you may end up in a bad salary cap spot simply because you've tried... Too, too many times to get better through free agency. You know, the Giants kind of uh, fit that bill. I have no idea what Leonard Williams is doing there on that contract. That that's a weird one too. Um, anyway, the uh, you know the Giants just did some restructures to create like a 1.5 million in cap room um, to make sure they can get through the season okay. But they've got Leonard Williams sitting there at like a 32 million dollar cap hit. Wild, wild, wild. But You know, everyone is going to fall into those problems as long as you can avoid perennially being in salary cap hell um, to where you have to do the stuff, you know, kicking the can all the time. Just be strategic with it. It's about planning. It's about planning for the future. Um, You know, no different than if you're making a budget at home and, you know, you're saving up money for a vacation. And maybe sometimes what you're saving in 2023 is really a vacation that's going to occur maybe in 2025. Um, you know, or a purchase you're going to make, you know, maybe you needed a roof, um, you know, you need a new car and you don't want to finance it, um, you know, or have a low finance on it. You know, you, you do things, um, you know, prior to actually needing it uh, before, you know, you, you go all out and, um, you know, do that. And I, I think the more um, the smarter front offices, I think, are kind of doing that right now. And I think Cleveland fits that bill. I think Philadelphia fits that bill. San Francisco, even though I'm killing them a bit on the the BOSA contract overall, you know, it's a really smart front office. You know, they they know everything that they're doing, um, you know, when it comes to it. And, you know, I, I think that's just kind of things that you want to look for as ways to manage it. And again, when you've got cap carryover, It really is no harm, no foul. The only difference is where you will get, you know, people like myself, um, you know, who who will go, and, you know, I'll put out a, you know, Jamal Adams got restructured, so I'll put out a tweet. Well, you know, this is is what his dead money is next year. And the fact is, you know, did Seattle need to do it? Um, Seattle probably did need to create the cap room. They don't really have a lot. You know, you can see they're under 10 million. but it could be a no-harm, no-foul kind of situation where it just kind of nets out to zero. Um, but, you know, the teams aren't making decisions based off of, for the most part, you know, what they see on Twitter or what they're seeing. I don't even know if you'd say, like, newspaper stuff. I don't, I don't think that's as big of a deal. I don't even think talk radio is as big of a deal. Um, it's probably just more certain media outlets that, uh, you know, kind of get a lot of traction and you know that that has a lot of sway sometimes that has a lot of pull um you know in in what they do but again for the most part it's no harm no foul you know restructure it it's there if you have a great season and someone's available and you need it and if you don't you know just just look GMs go out there at least once a year two times a year and you know you you go do your State of the Union on the franchise, you know, State of the Franchise kind of stuff. You can go out there and explain it. You know, you don't have to use the exact numbers. All you have to do is kind of make a statement that says something like, well, you know, we, we did that to give ourselves maximum flexibility. It unfortunately didn't work out for the, with the player, but, you know, the net impact on the cap is zero. You know, we're in the same exact position we would have been in if we never pulled the trigger you know, on that restructure in the first place. So you know that that's um, you know one of one of the things that I would uh, I would say when it comes to that. Um, I'm trying to think if there's really anything else. Uh, you know, this week, gosh, you know, there was a lot of stuff. I wanted to do roster breakdowns. I didn't get around to it. I put a bunch of them up on uh, X. <laughs> I gotta get used to that, right? Um, let me see if I can just pull them up. This is just breakdowns on, um, uh, it's not that one. Let's see. So this is like the uh, the Chiefs and the Lions. You can do this. I used. I usually do this every year. Um, this one will probably have to get done at a later date. It's just too busy with other stuff. Um, you know, just looking to see how they, they build themselves from a salary perspective. You know, the Chiefs have a somewhat top-heavy and a real bottom-feeder kind of roster. You know, a lot of low-cost guys. Whereas the Lions, they're more focused in this mid-range. Um, you know, as to, to how they, they built their roster. Um You know, this is the the draft grade of pretty much all the players on the team. You can see the Lions have a lot of UDFAs um, that are on there. A lot of third-round picks, a lot of first-round picks. Chiefs, you know, pretty heavy here. And then you, you can see, they've got a pretty healthy percentage of those you know, lower guys too. And then we've got this chart here, um, which looks at position allocation. And this is one that's on OTC. So if you want to do this, I'll to talk with Nick. I, I actually couldn't find it on here. It might be in the menu and I just didn't see it. Uh, but anyway, it's over the cap.com backslash position allocation. Um, This'll sort the players by their average annual salary. So you can select whatever team. So if you wanted to do like the Bills and the Jets, you know, it'll pop up to see. You know, the the Jets have more spent on quarterback on a per-year basis. Um, Running back is relatively even. Wide receiver goes to the Bills. Tight end goes to the Bills. Bills have more invested in the offensive line. Jets, um, no, Bills have more invested in the interior. Jets have more on the edge. Jets obviously have more at linebacker. Bills at safety corner goes to the Jets, special teams for the Bills. Um, you know, and so you you can run this for every team. Obviously, your regular positional spending, if you want to look from a salary cap perspective. Oh, there's the position allocation. I just completely missed that the other day somehow. I don't know how. Um, so anyway, uh, Nick, if you're watching, you don't need to do anything with that. Um, it was there and I just missed it, I guess. Uh, you can get the salary cap spending for the teams here. This actually, we, we run this all the way from Um, you know, back then, you know, so you've got, you know, you, you can look to see how everyone is doing it with the cap. And, you know, that tells you a lot too, you know, the annual value of the deals tells you kind of what they view the value of the player as, but here you see where they have that particular investment this year and, you know, where the annual values, I think tell you what you should be expecting from the roster and what, um, uh the what are the, the what should be and shouldn't be the stronger units when you get into the cap breakdowns i think you get into what has to be the return in a given season um you know on these players so you know the bills if their cornerbacks are no good this year you know that's a major problem if the rams corners are no good well they didn't really invest much um so you know not the end of the world you know seattle has to get production out of their safeties They have so much allocated on the cap. They don't really have the ability to, you know, have a year where the safeties just kind of stink. You know, linebacker, we'll say this has got to be the Jets, but no, it's the Colts. Um, You know, so I think when you look at productivity from units, um, you know, you want to look in a given season at how much cap is allocated to that position to try to get the idea of, you know, you have to get it this year, you know, because you're, you're going to get a lot of variance um, in player performance year over year. So when it comes to the annual value stuff, it, you're probably never going to reach those annual values for veteran players outside of quarterbacks, and maybe left tackles, um, you know, maybe a year or two you'll, you'll hit it within, you know, edge or a corner or something like that. But uh, you know, on the, the cap by cap basis, I think you you just are looking and saying, okay, they need to do something this year. Like there is no tomorrow. Like this is tomorrow. This is the year where you've got that kind of investment, um, you know, in those different positions, um, quarterback might be the lone exception just because you've got such a gap at this point between rookies and non-rookies, um, the, the the salary gap is so big. I still don't understand how teams can't justify, even if you've got a great player under contract, um, you know, other than really upsetting someone's feelings and getting into you know the Aaron Rodgers kind of situation. How you can't be spending a late first or a, a second round pick on a developmental even a developmental player, uh, you know, even if he winds up you know, as a quality backup for you, it's cheaper than going into the market to, to sign somebody. Um, you know, it's just a, a better situation there. Um, all right, let's do our questions um, that we have here. Let me just see, Let me let me pull up some emails and you know, I did have actually, let me see if I can find it here. I had a comment, I think it was on the podcast video. Oh, one other thing. Uh, If you are interested, I have a video up on new money valuations. I don't really want, I didn't want to get into the whole new money um, valuation thing today. Um, You know, how you calculate it and why you calculate it that way. But there's a video up on that. So you can... uh, you can check that out if you want, but let's see. Whoops. Um. So this was a question. Do you have any numbers on low end contracts? Cut down day just happened, and nine hundred kids lost their jobs. They're interested in how they are paid, how the injured ones are paid, and whether this is part of the overall salary cap. So um, when you're cut, you know you, you don't really get anything. You know they 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 get a you know a per diem. Um, for what happens during the preseason, it's not really much. So, you know, it's not a big deal, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, uh, how are the injured ones paid? You know, if you're actually hurt, you'll get what's called an injury settlement and an injury settlement is something that you negotiate, um, you know, with the team. Basically what you're, you're coming up with is let, let's say that, um, Last week of training camp, let's say I I sprained my ankle. Let's say I got a high ankle sprain. And that's probably like a six-week recovery time. So probably four to six weeks. So you might look at that and say, okay, we have a week before the season is going to begin. So that's week one. So you probably would have missed three to five games. Maybe they'll split the difference at four. Um, You'll pay them. They'll earn four weeks of salary as a settlement. Uh, the reason that teams do the settlement is if they don't do a settlement, they have to carry them at their full salary cap charge until the player is released. So for a player uh, who's a rookie, you know, the, the base salary on a split, which means it, you're on injured reserve, your base salary drops from $750,000 to $450,000. The full four fifty would count, um, you know, on the salary cap. So that's the reason why... You, you might do a settlement because a settlement for four weeks is um, you know what like a hundred thousand or something, give or take a little bit um, you know in there. So that that's that that's the concept of an injury settlement um, as to why you do that because you you can save yourself a couple hundred thousand dollars in cap space. Now the the negative on that is, well, the player might get healthier sooner. Um, in which case you would have been able to uh, cut the player after, say, one game, and you wouldn't obviously have had to pay him as much. Uh, But likewise, it could turn out that he had a a longer recovery time, and you may have had to pay him more. So I I think the two sides usually do try to come up with a a reasonable agreement when it comes to a settlement. Um, All this stuff counts on the cap. Uh, You know, the the other stuff that the the players that are cut that they earned – you know, if they had a salary guarantee, they get the salary guarantee. It's paid out over the course of the year. Uh, many of the players are signed to practice squad contracts that actually offsets that salary guarantee. But the the guarantees are paid out basically over the course of the year. Uh, signing bonuses were already paid out. Those you know count on the cap part in twenty twenty three, part in twenty twenty four. But you know, I'll, I'll have a I'll have a study on the UDFAs. Um, it just might not be tomorrow. You know, it may end up being next week, which kind of defeats the purpose a little bit, gets a lot less engagement, (laughs) Um, not having it for the the first day of the season. But I'd rather, uh, you know, do the podcast today and, um, you know, kind of get that out of the way and, uh, you know, do some other stuff tomorrow rather than moving, you know, focusing on that. So let me uh, let me get to. Some cap questions here. James. Email. Oh, nope. This is about something that I have on the site with Epps. Uh, I'll have to check this. I probably screwed it up. Jack. uh, You said the Union could frown upon what the Browns and Eagles are doing. I would assume the Union would be over the moon with the Browns, considering they're outspending the league average in cash. Um... Browns are motivating the teams to spend more and earlier up front. Surely the union would be over the moon with that rather than against it. So that's not the part that I'm talking about. The part that I'm talking about is they're crafting contract structures that are making it more salary cap friendly to release a player. Um, so, you know, the, the Eagles are more the team that I had in mind, but who recently did it? Was a Teller? They're doing this with everybody uh let me just pull up his page maybe this is one of them um so you you can see that what the what they did here okay they brought his salary down this year to 1.08 and they did a restructure bonus of whatever the cash was here um you know on the 12.5 salary they brought his salary in 2024 already down to um 1.5 million on the base he's going to earn 14 million in total um, you know, the two million roster bonus and one million per game, I believe, sticks in there. Um, so that prorates at one point nine a year. But here's the thing: what they're doing is that they're making these option decisions where they're they're putting these numbers in there. All right. Um, they're making it so this number here and this number here doesn't kick in until September. So that allows them instead of having to deal with this where they look at this and say okay he's got an 11.6 million dollar hit to keep 16.78 to cut that's a loss of 5 million dollars in cap room it's more along the lines of this well we can just hold on to him at 11.6 until June 1st and then we cut him and we split the money so it's five-two dead um, this year, and eleven-five the following year. Um, Philadelphia has done things with players to where they've gone in there and they've taken um, salary numbers. You know, just to if we were to use this contract as an example, um, it would be let's say that this contract existed, you know, as normal you know, $14 million in total salary. And they would go to him and say, hey, listen, you know, you're not playing well. You know, to his agent, they're going to go to, you know, not playing well. He's certainly not in our future. Help us out a little bit here. You know, his cap number, if his salaries was, you know, around $14 million, would be like $19 million. You know, we need to, we need to be able to June 1 him. So what we want you to do is to take this uh, fourteen million dollars in salary that he has, and we want you to take it down to the minimum, which is about one million. So at that point we can carry him at uh, six point two million until June second, and then we'll June one him, and we'll take our five two dead this year, and the balance of it next year, the eleven five seven eight. And that's not really what the system was designed to do when you go you know, way back. The system was designed to be something where um, you a- as a team are kind of forced to make a decision somewhat early on a player. Uh, otherwise, it could grossly impact your salary cap. And in many cases, that dead money kind of acted as a block to a player being released. And the Eagles and the Browns, to some extent, are making a mockery of that system with doing some of these deals. Um, not even so much like this. Um, you know, th- this is a little bit like it. But really, the stuff that like Philadelphia has done where they've restructured the deals, you know, in December prepping for the release of the player the next year. Um, You know, and this allows them to use those two post-June 1 designations um, you know, early in the process. So it's a brilliant move by the teams, but I think it's something that the union should look at and go, look, if you're going to help these guys with the salary cap, you should at least be getting a bonus of, you know, $400,000, $500,000, because you're your contract was such that, you know, you, you were kind of creating something that should protect you. And the the point I, I think that I would make is that, you know, as a union um, and certainly as an agent, you, you should be doing what's in the best interests of each individual player. And I know as a union, obviously, you, you're, you're representing a collective and you can say, well, it's better if the Eagles are able to go out there and um you know spend more money you know be able to allocate more money to the salary cap but you know y- you can always find money on the cap that's that's my opinion unless you get to the point where you're just you know completely overboard you can almost always find money and what you're really doing is you're taking these deals and you're allowing these teams to craft contracts that make it easier to get out of beyond the guarantees on the deal. And I, I don't think things should be done that way. I, I think they should be done um, a little bit differently. And if you've put the team in a bad position, that's not my, That's not your problem. You, your problem is not managing their salary cap. Because I can guarantee you, when you're negotiating your original contract and you're looking for some kind of giant bonus, if you go to them and say hey, you know it'll help you on your salary cap. I can guarantee you they're going to tell you, don't manage my cap for me. So, you know, you you shouldn't be, um, you know, in that position where you're, you know, kind of helping them with their cap. Uh, Not a question, but uh, Ryan, if you're listening, I will try to get back to you. Uh, Same with you, Julie. Uh, Colby. Heard you talk about shortening rookie contracts as a way to help running backs and players in general. Curious what you think um, the PA would need to give up to shorten contracts to two, three years over the current four, ending all forms of holdouts, hold-ins, a larger percentage of profit share, more games, lower guarantees for rookies, second franchise tag. Um, The second part of the question is, do you think it's likely to happen? No, if it was going to happen, it would have happened, I think, in this last CBA. I think, at least. Um... The players had a lot of leverage in this last CBA because the league was looking to expand the games from 16 to 17. And they didn't use it at all. It was, again, it was giving up kind of off-season stuff. Um, You know, it really wasn't giving up the kind of things that um, I think were... Financially meaningful. It was like more about workout programs and time off and, um, you know, more, um, you know, more, more concussion neuro kind of, you know, studies and stuff. Um, you know, more kind of, you know, control over player tracking, you know, it's just... I don't know, not, not the right kind of stuff there at all. Um, you know, I, I do think that the, the hold in will be ended, but I think that will be, um, independent of something like that. Um, you know, but it was, it was then now, if it does come up in the next CBA, it's certainly going to be because the NFL wants to expand to 18 games and we're so far out from that next CBA. Um, that'll probably be a discussion point at that point. You know, that they need even more product to put on the field. Um, You know, and they need more games during the week and on Saturdays or whatever it is. Um, So, I mean, maybe that'll be there, but I, I think when you you start looking at the league and you start looking at some point, the players have to do this, see how that league is getting younger and younger and younger and younger. and, And, you know, the, the, the length of the, the careers and everything being shorter and shorter, you have to start to come to some realization that this is not what things used to be. Where, you know, teams are happy to extend a player, excuse me, in year seven. You know, it, it's that's not the league. Year seven, you're pretty much done. So, you know, it, it's you, you've got to come up with, um, with that. Uh, let's see more questions here, Adam. Um, I don't know if this is a podcast question, but I didn't reply via email, so I'll touch on it here. Uh, wondering if you know why the Jets cap fell by about 11 million last week. I can see the practice squad maybe ate up four, but I can't find an explanation for the rest. Just curious. So it, it really deals with the the whole roster expansion, and I might have touched on this last week, but. Uh, you basically lose about four million of the practice squad. Your players jump from fifty-one to fifty-three. That's another one point five. Uh, all the players that you have on injured reserve that were outside of the top fifty-one salary cap charges now count. Um, so for a team like the Jets, that was probably another four million dollars. So you know that that that's where the numbers come from. Um, you know, if you're a team that has a suspended player, you know that means not only Carrying the suspended player's cap hit, which is reduced by four, you know the, you know proportionate number four games or whatever, um, you are going to have to hold another roster spot, which means at least another seven hundred fifty thousand um, dollars. That that's going to be on your salary cap. So that's the reason that they drop so much. It's basically even across the board. All these teams end up dropping that much. So that's what those that's what those changes were uh, were based on. Uh, sorry about all the squinting. I'm sure if you're you're watching this on video, you can uh, you can see that. I, the glasses that I have don't work that well anymore, so I don't I never wear them. And uh, my contacts are bothering me from being outside for Jacob's football game, so I, I pulled those out already. And uh, sometimes that uh, that causes me to squint a little bit to uh, see old age. All right, uh, question about void years from Jason. Um, Okay. Uh, the question about uh, players' void years, like a C.J. Mosley as an example, His contract voids after 24, Jets are on the hook for 5.95 against cap in 25. If the Jets re-sign him to an extension prior to next season, let's say multi-year deal, would the new contract erase the cap hit on the void year, or would the Jets be on the hook for that 5.95 plus the cap hit? Um, you, you'd be on the, on the hook for all of it. So uh, in Mosley's case, I'm going to guess that there's just the one void year um see if i look it up cj mosley probably just the one no this two voids okay so the way that it would work okay so this is a good example jalen hurts is a better example but this is a good example so if the jets were to extend him um this 5952 five, the only part that would count would be 2976 would stay in 2025 2976 would stay in 2026 You would add the additional cap charges on top of this. So let's say they gave him a $10 million signing bonus. Let's say they added three years to it. Um, You know, so this number jumped to 4976 plus whatever his base salary was for that year. Um, But these would stay in place, but it wouldn't stay in place as a 5-9 charge. As long as they sign him, re-sign him before the void hits, it's just the 2976 that would stay in each individual season. All right. Last email question comes from Sam. Uh, earlier this week, Caleb Williams' father was quoted as suggesting that Williams would return to school in 2024 if he didn't like the team selecting one overall, and that he'd almost be better off going undrafted than going number one overall. What exactly is in place to prevent top prospects from foregoing the draft? Signing as an undrafted, I assume, undrafted players can't sign a contract anywhere remotely close to what a first rounder could. Otherwise, someone else would have tried this by now. So, yeah, the um. So you can't enter the draft and basically say, okay, I don't like the team that picked me and now I'm going to go back to school. You know, you basically have to do that ahead of time. Uh, You know, there's a lot of people that, you know, kind of said back in the day that uh, one of the reasons Peyton Manning didn't come out in the draft had to deal with the the Jets. Um, And it wasn't so much that he wouldn't have played for the Jets. I think it was that Parcells wouldn't guarantee prior to the draft that he would pick Manning number one, if I remember right. Um, so he ended up returning to Tennessee. Um, I could have my timeline mess, messed up a little bit on that. Um, you know, but you don't have a system, um, you know, that really lets you do that, uh, outside of just being like, okay, I don't want to go to this team that's drafting, so I'm just not going to declare. um, you know you used to have players that would say they wouldn't sign contracts but those contracts were so big you could you know you you could afford to um kind of throw that down as leverage you know say well I'm not going to play for you and the money was so big it's a legitimate threat where you could say screw it you know I'll I'm just going to go back to school because I'll get this contract and even more next year Versus, you want to get the clock ticking. If you're a top draft pick, on being able to get that first extension, um, that's really where the big money is. You know, the 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 there's obviously big money involved when you're drafted, even still. Um, you know, thirty million dollars or something like that, but it, it's not generational money. Generational money can happen on that second contract, so. You know, you, you want to get the clock ticking on that. You, you don't want to be, you know, the older player. You want to be a younger player, um, you know, being able to sign as many contracts as possible. So, you know, that that's that's kind of the reason why you wouldn't do that. Um, I think you could argue on the UDFA side, and they did do a little bit more in the CBA Uh, with the proven performance escalators and um, different things. And, you know, let me just mention that, too, as something that's just a big miss by the NFL. They've got to do something to guarantee these PPEs, uh, proven performance escalators. Um, There were so many teams that a week before the season basically backed their own players into a corner and said, hey, listen, You're going to earn $2.7 million this year. That ain't going to cut it. We're just going to cut you if you don't bring your salary back down. It's like you've collectively bargained. And I I would almost even get it like if it's on one-on-one basis that you do these things differently. You've collectively bargained that this is the criteria for earning a raise. This is the criteria for basically getting that escalator to an RFA salary you should not be getting that salary just taken away from you um, in the last week of training camp because the team has all the leverage in the world at that point. Like, just ridiculous. Um, but anyway, I, I think when when you look at the, the chances that are given to players to perform, you want to be a player... If, if you're going to be picked in the first round or the second round... Um, you know, you're better off being in the draft. Probably if you're going to go in the third round, the signing bonus is probably large enough to where you'd probably even rather be a third round pick. Um, the exception in that case might be a quarterback. If you can find a way to get higher by going back to school, you might be better off doing that. But... Um, you know, for anybody else, I think you can make an argument that the financial position is better um, being a third round pick. After that, I mean you you could make a lot of arguments that you're better off being a UDFA um, you know if you're very confident in your own abilities because a UDFA can sign an extension after two years. Um, they don't have to earn you know these different proven performance escalators. In their case, all it might take is one good year in the third year of their um, UDFA contract to wind up getting a second round tender. Um, you know, the first round tender is rare, so I, I wouldn't throw that one in there. But uh, you know, a second round tender. But um, you know, the 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 only player where this really happened was uh, Collins when he got uh, selected by Dallas. So he got nailed by some off the field stuff that, you know, really wasn't he understood why teams dropped him. Um, but they probably shouldn't have. But he kind of made it be known that if he wasn't gonna be selected at the was it round two? I don't remember I don't remember what his agent gave his cutoff. That he wouldn't sign a contract with them. That he he would just kind of go back to school or whatever. And the threat did hold up. You know, he he dropped out of the draft and Dallas signed him as a UDFA. And, um, you know, they, they originally did a deal where they guaranteed his entire salary. Uh, they did a 30% rule raise, if I remember right, on his salary. And um, Ryan, who ironically works for Dallas now... Uh, actually nailed that one perfectly when those numbers came out and said, yeah, you know, this one's not going to fly. And, um, you know, they they ended up adjusting the contract somewhat from what originally, um, you know, it was listed as. But, uh, you know, they ended up doing that, and Dallas basically made good by him by doing a very early extension that, um, you know, wound up being better than, you know, if he would have been drafted, certainly in those later rounds, um, that was the case. All right, let's. I probably should get another beer here, but we'll see. I'll pause it in a minute. and Probably go and get it. All right, so let's uh, let's go to Twitter here. Uh, let's see. Uh, there we go. All right, profile. All right. I did ask for questions yesterday because I thought maybe I would have done it on um, done the podcast last night. Ended up not doing it. I was a little tired and thought was, ah, I'll get up early and go to the gym. Ended up not doing that either. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Oh, just to mention this one. Um, and it was very few players. But you do see some veterans that get cut, and that's to avoid the termination pay, where their entire salary is guaranteed. You got to be on the uh, active fifty-three um, tomorrow. Get your salary guaranteed, unless you were Chiefs or Lions. Then it was Thursday. If you're uh, the Monday night game, it's the uh, the Monday. You have to be active. All right. Let's see. All right. Let's drop down here. All right, you know what? It looks like there's enough questions. So let me just pause this for a minute, grab another beer here. um, And let me uh, just go do that and I'll jump back in here. All right, yeah. So I've really got to finish this uh, one of these days. I got to fix this uh, refrigerator thing down here and make it much easier. Um, So we'll see, at least we get through the four pack today. Hopefully, we don't need to have some others. I think I do have some other pumpkin beers, but they're like a lower, lower one here. All right, let's see. Zach Wilson, how hard does Burroughs' contract make it for them to retain Higgins and Chase? Um, I don't think it makes it any harder. You know, I, I think this is probably what they they kind of planned from the start. Um, you know, they, they knew they they kind of knew what Burroughs' numbers were going to be. Um, you know, I've mentioned the 55 for a while now, so I I think that was the case. Now, if it does turn out that this is legitimately full guarantees and they didn't plan on that at first, I mean, maybe that'll play a little bit of a role, but I I think, I'm not going to say it makes it impossible for them to retain all three. I mean, you can do it. I just don't think they will. Um, now, again, I, I'm in the I know I'm in the minority on this one. I think you would be better off trying to work out a deal with Higgins and trading Jamar Chase. I, I think Higgins can be more consistent. I think um, it might end up being a little bit more of a reasonable deal. And I think you can get more in return for Chase, but I don't think they're going to do that. Um, I think they're just going to decide that, you know, Chase is the higher pick, and so that's who they're going to go with. <clears throat> Max, uh, which teams are best suited to take on Mike Evans? So I would say the team that's best overall is probably um, Cleveland. Uh, now, again, I, I know, you know, you're looking at them and you're saying, well, you know, they're, they're really focused, you know, on the future, and you can see they're cap's not in a good position next year, but obviously they're going to move on. You would think at some point from Amari Cooper. And you, you would think if they plan on moving on from Amari Cooper, if they're, they're making a move on Evans, um, it probably means that Amari Cooper is not having like a awesome season. Probably means that he's just having an okay season. Um, you know, so I, I think from a cap perspective that's the team that would make the most sense. I mean, you, you could throw San Francisco in there where you see that kind of cap space from them as well. Um, I just don't know if they would really have as much of a need for it. I, I don't look at San Francisco and think that the receivers, even though I'm I'm not a big um, Debo Samuel guy, uh, I don't think you look at that as the receivers as kind of being the issue. Um, you know, so I, I think that would be that. I think... You know, the, the other thing, too, and I know this. that's coming from a perspective of who has the cap room. I think the other thing is, if you're Tampa Bay, all you're going to get in return for him if you let him walk is a fifth-round pick. right? That's the best that you could hope for uh, as a compensatory pick process. But if you pick up a lot of that salary, if you look at, like, a Von Miller going to um, uh, the Rams a couple of years ago, where they got a two and a three back for him. And I don't remember how many years Von Miller had in the league. I don't know if that would have been a five for Denver or not. Um, I am too lazy to look it up, but uh, it probably would have been, right? He was drafted 2011. Free agency season was 2022. So yeah, probably. Um, You know, they got a two and a three because they picked up the entire salary. Now, Von Miller... Probably a better player than Mike Evans. Um, I think a lot of people discount Mike Evans' career. I think there there are some inconsistencies in there. Um, You know, a little bit of a boom bust kind of type. But overall, the numbers clearly work out there. Um, You know, and if he's legitimately, um, you know, cut off contract negotiations, you know, he's not going to demand a new deal. You know, I think any of these teams, you know, the Jets, for example, that would be in a position to say, look, we'll give you draft picks because we're desperate to, um, you know, make a playoff run here. I I think that would probably work as well. But I think you just have to eat some of that cost. So if you look at a team like the Jets, and I I don't think the Jets really need him. But, you know, we'll, we'll see as the season goes on. Um, You know, Dallas could use another target, I'm sure. Um, You know, teams like that, I I think if they're willing to move the right picks, um, you know, I, I think you could get a situation where it makes sense. You know, gosh, you know, if the Chargers want to sell out completely for this year, I know it would be an ancient roster with him and Keenan Allen and everything else. But man, you know, if, you, if you're if you selling out and your guys are constantly hurt or something, you might have to make a move like that. Um, so I, I think that's kind of more as to to what you're looking for than necessarily just the cap room. But just on the cap room alone, the Browns are the team that stands out to me as a team that would uh, kind of make a little bit of sense. Uh, Scott, how will the 49ers get through 2024 with all their large contracts? So I think pretty much what I went over before, uh, they've maximized this carryover to where you're going to have 40 million that you bring over to next year, and then you're still going to go in there and you're going to redo those Trent Williams deals. You know, maybe you extend Armstead, um, you know, you, you'll be able to redo Kittle again, I think restructure him again. Um, you know, so I, I think that's, uh, that's the way you do it. Patriots 300-level podcasts. Uh, No questions here, but appreciate all your hard work. We'd love to have you on our pod at some point. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I wish I could do more podcasts with people. Um, As you can see by my schedule here, it's a quarter of one in the morning. And usually I'm not even up this late. It's just random times where I can find some time to record. And, uh, you know, the schedule doesn't get any easier these days. Um, Gets harder and harder. You know, it's... uh, it kind of it kind of stinks, you know. I used to like going on the radio. I hardly ever do it anymore. Um, you know, once in a while you do like a, a couple of podcasts with people, and I, I try to make time for the couple of guys that I've known for a while. And I still have to turn them down sometimes, just say sorry, the timing's not going to work. Um, you know, once the the little kids' football season is done, I might have a little bit more time to do some stuff. But uh, you know, it, it's tough. Um, you know, make time for it i wish i could um you know but luckily there's there's other guys who are pretty good that uh you know are able to to do a lot of these things you know joel corey's really good when he gets on the radio um you know if you ever hear him on sirius or a couple of the other spots that he does he's really good at brad has really done a good job with um you know the stuff on nfl network and everything so he, he's done really good with that um you know, I know Troy does good with his shows that he does. So, you know, once in a while I can I can sneak on somewhere. But, uh, you know, it's a little tough. Uh, Jason, are there any payments to players from teams that don't count against the cap ever, the veterans minimum? So, yeah, so the uh, minimum salary benefit or whatever they call it, call it now, qualifying player or something, I don't know, veteran, sal- veteran salary benefit Um that part doesn't count, so that that's the difference. So, in other words, if a player um, is only making the minimum and he's been in the league at least uh, four years, so the minimum salary for that player is one point oh eight million. Only nine forty counts against the cap, even though one point oh eight is actually paid out. Um, if a player has more service, seven years or more, I think it's one point one six five million is the base this year. Nine forty counts on the cap, um, not the full one one six five. The other thing is that you have a four year. Player contract. Um, ooh, uh, so player has to be on the team for four years to qualify for that one. I cannot remember what the limit is on that. Um, two million and change, something like that. Uh, but again, you know, you 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 have this difference um, between the salary that the player is being paid. You know, two five, two six. Um, you know, and what the salary would be for a player with that experience level, you know, 1.08 or whatever it is. Um, so those don't count against the cap. Uh, injury protection payments at the moment, a if I remember right, a portion counts on the cap. A portion counts as a player benefit. Um, I don't remember the cut on that, but yeah. They're, they're, so there's a couple of things that do. And there are, there are payments... Um, That also don't count against the cap that are for things like, you know, lodging and meals and the preseason, transportation for, you know, certain things. Um, You know, those kind of things are all part of the benefit pool. Um, You know, don't count against cap, player performance, uh, uh, performance performance-based pay, those kind of pools. That's all stuff that doesn't count against salary cap. Um, Do injury settlements to remove a player from IR account against cap? Absolutely. Yes, they do. Uh, How is the salary cap itself determined? Is it lower than it should be? If so, is this another instance of the players' unions' inability to delay gratification and uphold the responsibilities to future players? Um, So this is all negotiated out. Uh, Essentially, they they have like three, maybe four pools now. I forget what it is. Um, But basically what you've got is television money. Local revenue money, NFL like kind of properties money, NFL Network, NFL Radio, Thursday night packages, streaming I think falls into that bucket. And they have different splits. And gosh, I don't even remember what they are now. It's probably like 55% of the TV money goes to the players. Um, Maybe 50-50 on the... NFL revenues and then your local revenues are like, um, uh, is that 35% goes to the players or 45? I, I don't even remember, but they, they also have like a, a cap on these things of like 48, 48.5% of total revenue. And then there's some credits for certain things with stadium construction and everything else. Um, Basically, whatever those numbers end up being, for the most part, it's probably about 48 to 49 percent of revenue that's generated by the league goes to the players. Um, you divide that by 32, but you're going to take out of that the benefit side of it, um, which are all those other payments, um, you know, that don't really go towards playing football. You know, stuff for the preseason, stuff maybe for the playoffs, um, you know, those per diems, the, those kind of. Um, different kind of payments that, you know, go out there, um, you know, different things with insurance and stuff like that, that are, that are all benefits that go to the players that all goes into the, that other part of the pool. Um, you know, the performance based pay that that's all a different section of it. Um, I, I don't think that that, that's really a, a the union, um, not doing a good job with that. I, I think doing a 50-50 split, I, personally, I, I think that's kind of fair. Um. You know, you can argue one way or the other um, with it. I think more of the issue that I have with the union is they've given too much control to teams, you know, over periods of time. I, I think that's one of the, uh, the big things for me, at least. And the second thing is they they focus too much on getting these teams to agree to these cash spending minimums when there's no real need to. Like, they simply have to because of the the market that exists. They simply have to if they want to be competitive. And if you look at the numbers, for that to really have any kind of bite, you probably need the the cash spending at the very least to be equal to the salary cap in a given year. Um, and not three-year windows to where teams can just choose a year and go, uh, you know, screw it. I'm not going to compete this year. Um, you know, where you're trying to get teams to spend every single year. Um, I think those are the areas that they, they've they kind of missed on. But I, I think the revenue calculation itself, I, I don't think it's unfair, um, you know, for it. But I, I think that they have made it so... Um, teams don't feel the need to have to go well above and beyond. Um, You know, there's just a point where it seems to be okay for them. Thomas, today I discussed the effects of the Nick Bosa contract with some fellow Danish 49ers fans. We were discussing the term salary cap hell. What is your definition of salary cap hell under the 49ers headed there? So my definition of salary cap hell would be a giant picture of the New Orleans Saints. Uh, No, I'm kidding. Um, I think salary cap hell is when you're at the point to where you're you have an inability for the most part to cut players from your roster uh, because of salary cap considerations. And you know you, you're almost like you're forced to restructure those players because the cost to cut them is so high that you're better off just restructuring them and kicking the can to another year. Um, you know I, I think that that's one of the parts of it. Um, I think a second part of it is to where you can't go out and sign players. Um, you know, and I'm not talking about signing some low-level guys. I'm talking about actually going out and doing business the way you would want to do it. Um, you know, maybe having some free agents that you typically wouldn't expect to walk, be able to walk because in part of salary cap considerations. Um, you know, the the team really, the, the again, much picking on the Saints, the team that fits that bill the most to me is you watch the Atlanta Falcons um, for the last couple of years. If you look at what that owner is willing to spend on that organization, great owner, Um, the amount of resources he's willing to put into the team, you know, you are in a situation where you've got this ability to go out there and really spend to make your team better and um it's just a no-go in large part because of the salary cap problems you have and um you know i think that's what it is so i don't think the 49ers at the moment are headed there um remember you've got a cheap quarterback under contract so you you've cut out a lot of the cost so for as much as you know you're going to say that nick bosa deal is just wow um and you've got some other very high-priced players, you know, Fred Warner, Debo Samuel, you know, other guys, you don't have the quarterback to worry about. At least not at the moment. Um, so you're saving, even if, let, let's say, Purdy gives you average NFL performance, average NFL performance is probably worth 25 to $30 million a year. So if you're getting that, you know, between him and Darnold at like $7 million, Um, you know, that's a huge savings. So that offsets a lot of the cost from some of these other contracts that maybe are questionable or that you look at and you go, how do we have this many guys under a high-level contract? So I don't think they're getting there. Um, But you never know. You never know with these guys. And, you you know, you never know if if all the players get hurt, all the players stink at the same time. You know, then you certainly wind up there. But, I don't think I would look at its face value and say, "Okay, this is where San Francisco is headed." Um, you know, I, I I think that they're 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 nowhere near that at at this point. Um, you know, but you you have to wait and see how uh, how things play out. Uh, Trust, do you see the tight end market uh, coming given injuries at uh, at position, or is this an overreaction week one? Um. No, I, I don't see any corrections or any, any kind of changes to tight ends, um, you know, whatsoever. Uh, Gano, what's going on there? I think that's about Graham Gano. Uh, Giants love him. Um, you know, they 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 love, I guess, what I guess is the the clutch factor or whatever. There, they they love him, so uh, you know, good for him. That that's a real interesting story. Um, you know, when you when you go back and you see where he was in Carolina, and you know gets cut from that contract, signs pretty cheap with the Giants. By the end of the year, he gets extended. Now he's extended again. You know, it's it's a great little story, um, definitely. All right, Vin. Uh, why don't players fight to change the way the franchise tag is calculated? Draft pick slot is position agnostic. Shouldn't the tag be as well? If you're a franchise player, should be the same across the board. Maybe different one for quarterbacks. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I, I don't. I don't really know how you how you approach that. Um, you could probably make that argument. I, I guess the the question is. So certainly you'd have a different setup for quarterbacks, but you know what do you do when you're talking about an edge rusher versus a um safety? You know it's it's a tough question because. You know, you you have um, – let's say you you put the franchise player – or, you know what, I'll I'll use offensive line. It's a perfect example, right? Your offensive line tag is basically made up of all left tackle salaries. Um, You know, maybe there's a couple of other guys in there, but for the most part, it's all left tackles. And because it's all left tackles, it prevents – guards for the most part from being tagged and centers never get tagged. And you kind of look at that and you, you look at that from the perspective of, well, is that really fair for left tackles that they're the only position that will be franchise tagged up and all these other positions are free, you know? So I I think, I think the same thing would happen. So let's take quarterback thing off the board. Um, you know, let, let's even say you just set it to the highest-priced players on the defense based on, like, the, the top five or top ten or something like that on defense, and that applied to all defensive players. And you take the quarterback out of the equation, and you said the, the top five cap hits for all players on offense is the offensive positions. You know, again, you you would get a system where, yeah, more guys might be free, But is that really fair for the pass rusher who still is going to get tagged? Is that really fair for the left tackle or the wide receiver who probably would still be tagged? Um, So I I don't think there's a good solution for it other than just getting rid of the tag altogether. Um, You know, and I, I think we're at the point now where when you go back to the franchise tag definition maybe this isn't the best of time to say it now that you got Bosa on this kind of contract, but when you go back to the the concept of the franchise tag and it was to take these players who were supposedly synonymous with an organization, Um, you know, it would be if we use the NBA equivalent where I think players are, um, in the past at least, were much more, um, you know, part of a culture of a city or a, a team or whatever, You know, it was, well, you need a way for Michael Jordan to stay in Chicago. You need a way for Larry Bird to stay in Boston. You need a way for Magic Johnson to be a Laker. Um, Sports don't really work that way anymore. Even in the NBA, I mean, yeah, there's Steph Curry with Golden State. Like, I I couldn't picture him somewhere else. Uh, But, you know, like, LeBron has been a hired gun. Kevin Durant's a hired gun. You know, a lot of these guys. And football is... You know, not really the hired gun aspect of it, uh, because the the players don't have that kind of impact. It, it's really the, the the only players that are somewhat uh, synonymous with the franchise are the quarterbacks. So, uh, I'm not saying that that's a fair rule either, but I could see a situation where, you know, at least the spirit of the franchise tag is to work within the framework of the quarterback system, Um. And really nobody else, because there's nobody else that truly is a franchise player anymore outside of the quarterback. There's just no, there's no player um, that does that. Holkenstein, if we consider not only the extension part of the quarterback contracts, but also the remaining years from rookie deals, um, how does it change the overall outlook for this year's new quarterback deals? So, I mean, if you want to value them at the the effective numbers, um, you know, the numbers are more in the $40 million a year range. Uh, Jalen Hurts is, let me see where he's at. He'd probably be much lower. Let me take these other guys out. You know, Justin Herbert signed. He signed an extension. Well, signed an extension this year. Who else? Who else? Quarterbacks. All right. Those are the two, right? Okay. So, you know, their effective APYs would be, uh, you know, 43 and 42 million each. So, I mean, still pretty good. You know, if you do that. Now, this gets into that topic, which I didn't want to go down that rabbit hole. And I'm almost two hours. (laughs) There's no reason to go down that rabbit hole now. But, um, you know, this, this is why this whole... Argument of they should be ripping up the con. It's the Florio argument. You know they should be ripping up the contract and just doing a new deal. Why would you do it? Why would you do it as a team? You know, just using Jalen Hurts as an example. If they don't extend him, you know, here's their deal. That they're, they're going to say, okay, we're going to offer you fifty-one million dollars a year new money. We're going to offer you two fifty-five. To add four years onto your contract, instead of you becoming a free agent, going through franchise tag stuff, blah, 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 blah. We'll sign you right now, all right, 255 new, 51 a year. You honor that old year, so your your total value is 259.3 over five. All right. We're gonna guarantee you $175 million in new money in salary protection, uh, injury protection. We're going to guarantee you 110 total. So like 106 or so new. Um, That's all guaranteed no matter how good or how bad you play this year. Whatever happens to you. You go, no. That doesn't work for me. I need 51.5 flat. So I need 255 from today. Throw out that $4 million. I need 255 from today. What would you do if you were Philadelphia at that? Give him a pat on the shoulder? I respect that, that opinion. We're going to have you play out this year. You're going to earn your $4.3 million. And next February... Don't worry, we'll we'll throw the tag on you. You're not going anywhere. You know what we're going to offer you? $51 million a year. 255 over 5. With, um, you know, $175 million guaranteed. That's a legitimate $51 million a year. All you got to do is get through this year healthy. All you got to do is get through this year not playing poorly. How does that sound? Great. Like, come on. It's such a it's it's such a pointless argument. It's like you, you make these arguments sometimes, and it's like you, you take this this very pie in the sky outlook on things. You sometimes have to bring things back and start looking at it from a logical perspective. Look at it from okay. This is how it will play out if we don't do it this way. Maybe there's a time when it'll get there. You know, you never know. Um, but when when you start to peel, you know, peel those layers back from those arguments you're making, and you just start to see what the eventual outcome is. You know, look at a player like a Carson Wentz, for example. Carson Wentz, Jared Goff. Those guys were traded before their contracts even hit one new year they were gone at that point so what would have happened if you played that scenario out do you think those players would have even gotten their 33 34 million dollars a year at that point in time no 20 15 you know, it made sense for the, excuse me, to sign those deals and negotiate on the basis of, quote unquote, new money. Um, you know, just just playing it out, just playing out the numbers or playing out those, um, you know, the contracts. But y- y- you've just got to get to the point where you look at that because if I'm Philadelphia, I look at this and go, okay, well, I can have this guy for 259 for six you know, or I can have two fifty five five, and then have him be a free agent. Like, no, I'll, I'll opt for the two fifty nine. You know, over six. Like, of course, that's what they're going to do. The the teams have all the leverage on these contracts. So you know, that's a that's a that's a silly one. I I think at least I think it's just not logically playing through it. All right, uh, Jake says, if uh, sorry, if uh, Taylor sits on the uh, physically unable to perform list all season, does he still get a year accrued, and can a team trade for him while he's on pub? So, I believe a team can trade for him uh, while he's on it, but if he stays on that list all season, and I'm sure he'd file some kind of grievance that he's healthy, but if he stays on that list all season, his contract will toll, uh, meaning that he will not be a free agent. He will just simply get the... Um, I guess it would be the bump to the... I think he's on a... No, he's probably on a PPE, right? He's on a proven performance escalator. He would probably just get the same salary next year. George, when looking and comparing all NFL team rosters, can you explain why it's better to use the player's APY for the comparisons versus salary cap charges in a given year? So, the you know, I touched on this a little bit earlier. Uh, I think the APY gets you an. Ex- um, more of a overview of how the team views their roster every single team in the league has to comply with the salary cap and if you you look at the cap space charts you can see that most of our teams are between um you know five hundred thousand dollars in cap space and ten million dollars in cap space you know really the only things we have that are crazy cap space is the 49ers and the browns You know, most of the other teams are all kind of in the same spot. But if you get into, um, you know, cash spending, for example, and this is also something that varies year by year, you know, you can see you've got this giant, you know, gap that's here, you know, from 168 to 282, you know, teams at 256, teams at 210, it's not as tight and um you know that's on the active roster not the, the total there's you know even more if you you get into the total spending um so i think what the cap spending kind of tells you is how we manipulated the the roster for a given year but you can have a team with a bunch of really 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 good players on it that has very similar salary cap situation to a team that you know, isn't expected to compete. You know, Arizona. Um, you know, they have what, like four, What was it, fourteen million in cap room? You know, and then you got the Bengals at twelve four. The Bengals are one of the favorites in the AFC. The Cardinals are expected to get the first overall pick, and their cap situations are very similar. Same for the Panthers and the Chiefs. So, I, I think that's why I'd rather look at the annual value when comparing a ros- rosters overall. Um, versus the cap, which is kind of telling me how they manipulated that roster, um, for this year. Parker, are you going to post more average salary ranges? Would be interesting to see, to see the most unbalanced rosters across the league. Um, if I get a chance, I will probably won't happen tomorrow. And I don't know what kind of interest there will be after the season. Um, or I'm sorry, after the first week, um, But I'll try to post some stuff. We do have some stuff like that, I think, in the premium section. I'm not even positive on that. Um, We we do a couple of different overviews there. I'd have to look. You know, we do have APY by position. Let me see. I got to get those out of there. Uh, Let's see what we've got here. You can do, you know, uh, this is individuals, how much is on top two, top three, top four. Um, I'd have to look. I do so much of this stuff when I do like different kind of consulting things. I get mixed up with uh, what I have online and what I don't. <laughs> um, but we'll we'll try to do more on it. At the very least, I'll, I'll try to touch on them somewhat in the podcast here and there. All right, let's get last set of questions here in. All right. Jordan, can the cap gymnastics that the 49ers are playing be continued if someone like uh, Trent Williams or George Kittle retires? Good question. Um, that makes it a lot harder, but I, I think when the players retire, and you've seen it now with uh, a number of players, you know, Drew Brees being the most notable, um, willing to help the teams do that kind of deferral. Um, you know, on the money to where you can split it over two years. So you could probably survive that. I think what you can't survive if you're San Francisco would be Kittle continuing to be injured, but being effective. Like when he plays, um, you know, Trent Williams starting to look old or starting to break down just in terms of, you know, being healthy. Like instead of playing his 16, 17 year, he's playing 10. Um, Nick Bosa getting hurt. You know, that that's the kind of stuff that I think is more of an issue. Um, for them than anything else. Zach, do you think we'll ever see a quarterback go short-term, a year-to-year to to truly maximize his earnings? No, I don't. Um, Andrew Luck was the guy that it should have happened with. It didn't. And, you know, I, I think the issue with the quarterbacks, the salaries, even though... The salaries, like you will look at Mahomes and go, how how is Mahomes only at forty five million a year when the market's at fifty five? Um, you know, even even that, the numbers are so big. Forty five million dollars a year for Mahomes, it, it's hard for that that player to just be like, no. I'm not going to do it because I'm going to try to, to somehow end up at like $70 million a year, $65 million a year, especially when they're going to get painted as the villain um, by the fans at some point, they'll get painted as a villain by the press at some point. Um, you know, and and it's a little bit different now, you know, in terms of the, the media coverage, press coverage or whatever, you know, before I think the teams had a lot more ins because the, um, when you were a reporter, it was more important to be kind of on the good side of the team, right? The team gave you a lot of access, and the 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 general managers and stuff outlasted the players. Now it, it's a little bit more balanced because the general managers don't last as long, uh, the staffs don't last as long, and you kind of get the you're more beholden. Um, to certain agents across the league because the agents agencies have consolidated right you've got mega agencies it's kind of like the, the college sports stuff. you've got these mega agencies versus just a number of agencies and obviously you always had guys who had a lot of clients um, you know but I, I think that uh, you know even that's changed a little bit um, in terms of how they get painted but the, the money is so big. That, you know, if you're gonna get 45 million a year, is there really a difference between 45 and 55? As someone who's never had anywhere close to that kind of money? I mean, maybe there is, but you know, if somebody today told me, hey, you know, I'll give you 45 million dollars a year, and I'm like, man, I really want 55, I'd probably be more than happy to take the 45. And I think that's what happens. You know, you are the you're, you're the guy who is the leader of that team, the leader of the organization. You just want to get that contract behind you to make sure you stay there. So I think that's why it never happens. Dreadful. thoughts on Kyle offering the number two overall pick for Kirk Cousins. Um, that, to me, is crazy if they did that. I, I'm going to guess, if that story is true, that it was them seeing how far they could go in asking Washington to make a deal versus maybe having a serious, like, discussion on the table. Like, it, it might be something like, well, you know, it, it would be great if uh, we could get Cousins here. And there are probably some bad feelings between Washington and Kyle Shanahan, you know, that that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I would imagine... That's more of what it is. Um, you know, if it's legitimate, like, that's crazy for him to offer that. Crazy for Washington to turn it down. But that that's pure Washington just being, um, you know, completely out of it. <laughs> Gary. The role of lizards in modern society. I have no answer for that whatsoever. Connor. Uh... What do these new contracts do for Trevor Lawrence and Josh Allen's uh, upcoming deals? Josh Allen's under contract for a long time. So I don't I don't think anything is going to change in that regard. Again, unless he comes out and wants to start saying, like, I feel grossly underpaid at 43. I can say that. I don't think he can say that and kind of get away with it. Um, so I, I don't think that really changes much. I think... When it comes to him and Mahomes, at the most, it would be their agents going to the teams and trying to get them to take money from, you know, 2027 and move it to 2024. You know, knowing that those future years, you're going to get an extension anyway. Um, You know, for Lawrence, well, you got to wait to see what happens this year. But, I mean, the stage is certainly set if Lawrence can have a big playoff run, um, you know, to, to be looking at that. $60 million a year range. Mark, what happens if Chris Jones and the Chiefs don't come to an agreement on a new deal? What do the Chiefs uh, need to do to get his last year under the cap and what will they owe? Um, So, okay. When the Chiefs, you know, when Chris Jones says he wants to come back um, if no new offer is made, they'll have to restructure somebody before they move him off the exempt list. Um, Right now, you know, now, if I'm him, I'm not going to throw void years on there to help the uh, Chiefs out with the cap because that'll screw up his uh, franchise tag number, but he's already screwing up his own franchise tag number by sitting out. Um, You know, so I I think... um, You know, I, I think what they would do is they would probably go in there. Let me look up the Chiefs. You know, they, they would ha- they'd have to just take one. See, they have guys with big base salaries. So, you know, Tooney with a 15, Kelsey 1125. And obviously these guys have now earned one week. Reed 895, Aldis Cantling 856. You could take any of these players, one or two of them, Um, take all their salary that they have in the P5, convert it to a bonus, and you know, stretch that number out. And that would be more than enough to be under the cap and still deal with uh Chris Jones at his total number, which was it 28? Um, yeah, probably around 28 million. Uh, right now, obviously, it's nowhere near that. And he's given up about a million dollars a week. So each week that number gets lower and lower and lower um, as to what that change would be. Then why do teams wait? Jefferson burns his examples. Does it always cost him more? Uh, Yeah, in a sense it does, but at the same time, you know, and this is a discussion that I've, I've had about quarterbacks, which is kind of ironic since all these teams sign them. Um, there are players that peak very early and they kind of fool you into thinking that, you know, it's going to be great for the next four years and they very quickly tail off. So, you know, for those those kind of players, you know where I mentioned like Wentz and Goff before, um, it would have cost those teams much, much, much less if they just played those contracts out. Um, Jefferson... In my mind Jefferson is so far and above everybody else. I don't think the numbers go up. Uh Burns you can argue a little bit. I don't really understand what the uh the Panthers saw there um to not take the offer from the Rams. Um but in a sense, yeah, you know, it, it's if you're going to hold him and say we're going to extend him, you know, just get the deal done. Like, there's no point in wasting time. Um, You know, usually, I I think if you're an organization, what you want to do, and this is why I would say Minnesota with Jefferson is probably a little different, because he's going to be the top no matter what, and I think he should be the top by so much that whatever happens, you know, right now in the wide receiver market's not going to impact it any way, shape, or form. But I think what you have to do is you have to be aware of you know, all the different moving parts in the market. Um, you know, where I mentioned Dallas, like, you know, th- they were obviously aware Nick Bosa was going to get a deal done. Um, maybe they didn't think of that price, but, you know, they, they were obviously aware of that. But, you know, if, if you are Dallas, for example, um, you know, it, it might make might have made sense, uh, you know, if Parsons was extension eligible. To just be like, all right, let's just get this deal done before Bosa's gets done. Um, you know, because it's just going to cost us, you know, way more if we if we wait. Um, so you have to ask yourself, if, if you're an organization, how bad would that player have to be for you to reduce your offer or not want to extend him at all? Um, you know, to determine if waiting is the proper course of action. JT used to pup the entire season and still get a year accrual to free agency. Can he be traded while on pup? Uh, I think that's probably the same question I had before. It might have been the same person. Uh, but no, he can't just sit there to get to free agency. as contract will toll. So um, he needs to get activated. On beat, how much cap space do the Giants open up? Will they try to trade for T. Higgins or Mike Evans? Uh, 1.5 million. So no, (laughs) they have a ways to go before they can do anything right now. They're just going through the season. Um, You know, they'll have to see what they do with Leonard Williams if they really want to add someone. King Cole, uh, thoughts on how the Browns will handle the nucleus of players if the season is a successful one and they make the playoffs as they would hope. Um, I'd have to look to see who's a free agent, but uh, you know, they, they they will come up with a way to um, kind of make those contracts work. Big signing bonus, option bonus year two, year three, and uh, that that's probably the way that they will do that. Ryan, uh, Seahawks turned about $9 million of Jamal Adams' guaranteed salary into a signing bonus. i uh, seen a lot of coverage saying how that makes him harder to cut, but unused cap rolls into next year, so doesn't it just offset? Um, yeah, in a sense, it does. You know, I've mentioned that before. You know, if they don't touch it, it does, but it's still just... Kind of funny of all the players they had on the team that they have to go to Jamal Adams to uh, create enough cap room. Now, when when you look at where they are, um, they do have to probably use some of it because of where they are with their cap space. Um, but I just kind of get a kick out of that one because it's one of the worst deals in the NFL. Um, you know, that one, it was even when they signed it, it wasn't great. But, you know, it, it's gotten terrible. Brian, do you think the NFLPA can normalize player opt-outs in contracts like the other major sports? Like, every player has a right to opt out after half their contracts. The team can void the opt-out by automatically sticking fully guaranteed tags in the rest of the contract. No, I don't see that happening. Um, That was something that used to happen in rookie deals. You basically could opt out of the deal and the team could buy it back for a set price. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. Once they... Once the union kind of gave in on the rookie contract stuff, um, all the creativity kind of disappeared or most of the creativity um, disappeared from a lot of the contracts. And I I, I think that is a uh, that's kind of a situation there. All right. I think that's it. Let me just look at I'll look at it from this view. I think these are all the questions i just answered all right so i think that'll do it for me so uh we're in at about 2 15 2 10 or so um for tonight so i'm gonna get to sleep uh so everybody enjoy the um first day of the regular really the first you know real week of the uh, regular season um hopefully i'll be back next week um so from nelly nelly you got anything here Ellie, you, you've been very quiet during this, so good job. Um, so hopefully I'll be back next week, and we'll touch on a couple things. Maybe we'll do a couple of roster cut-ups uh, that I didn't get a chance to do this week. Um, and we should get the Joe Burrow numbers. So I, I think we'll be able to do a dive into the Joe Burrow stuff if there's anything interesting there. And, um, you know, get into those figures and see how things work out. Um, so... Thank you very much for listening, especially if you made it this far. Um, thanks for checking it out. If you happen to watch it on YouTube, you can uh, you know, subscribe on there. Uh, and you can certainly follow on whatever different platforms that you are on at the moment uh, listening to the podcast. So thank you very much for listening. And I will talk to you all again soon.